Hey, I'm Christopher Schiefling, and this is Auscultation, a podcast in search of a humanities-based practice of healthcare. Thanks so much for joining. Today, we're listening to The Drunkard's Child by Francis Ellen Watkins Harper, a writer, orator, and an accomplice in the Underground Railroad. She was also the first African-American to have a short story published in the United States. The Drunkard's Child by Francis Ellen Watkins Harper He stood beside his dying child with a dim and bloodshot eye They'd won him from the haunts of vice to see his firstborn die. He came with a slow and staggering tread, a vague, unmeaning stare, and reeling, clasped the clammy hand so deathly pale and fair. In a dark and gloomy chamber, life ebbing fast away, on a coarse and wretched pallet the dying sufferer lay. A smile of recognition lit up the glazing eye. I'm very glad, it seemed to say, you've come to see me die. That smile reached to his callous heart. Its sealed fountain stirred. He tried to speak, but on his lips faltered and died each word. And burning tears like rain poured down his bloated face, where guilt, remorse, and shame had scathed and left their trace. My father, said the dying child, his voice was faint and low. Oh, clasp me closely to your heart and kiss me ere I go. Bright angels beckon me away to the holy city fair. Oh, tell me, father, ere I go, say, will you meet me there? He clasped him to his throbbing heart. I will, I will he said. His pleading ceased. The father held his firstborn and his dead. The marble brow with golden curls lay lifeless on his breast, like sunbeams on the distant clouds which line the gorgeous west. Some thoughts on alcohol. The story of the poem is absolutely brutal. We see a man who's dragged from the haunts of vice in a drunkard stupor in order to see his dying child. And he doesn't even seem to understand what's going on until he's actually face to face with his son who is on his literal deathbed. And the child's final words are to ask his father, if they will see each other again in heaven. And of course the man says yes, but as the poem ends with the child dying, we're left with the terrible question of whether or not he will be able to live up to this promise, or if the gravity of addiction will be too great. The religious themes of Harper's work frame this as a moral question. However, it is highly resonant with the question posed by substance use disorders for healthcare. Many of my patients are struggling with addiction, and with the new treatments and new policy changes, 
I'm hopeful that they will be able to change, but it is seldom an easy hope. There's a curious degree of ambivalence in Harper's presentation of the father and his alcohol use disorder. As you'd probably expect, there is a fair amount of criticism, especially at the beginning of the poem. And the first stanza in particular paints his condition with his dim and bloodshot eye, slow and staggering tread, and vague, unmeaning stare. And these lines vividly display the ataxia, pupillary dilation, facial flushing, and encephalopathy of acute alcohol intoxication. What's more, while his faltering words are likely from his overwhelming grief, they can also be from the dysarthria or slurring of his words. And what's more, we see in the title, it defines him as, quote, the drunkard. And so this is not just an isolated response to his dying child. And we later hear of his callous heart and bloated face, which further support the idea that this is a chronic condition because a callus builds up in response to repetitive pressure and friction, and prolonged alcohol use can increase facial swelling through exacerbation of rosacea, which is most notable when it leads to rhinophyma or enlargement and reddening of the nose, which is often called the alcoholic nose. And maybe it's the erythema of rosacea, which can be a more permanent cousin of blushing, which leads to Harper's assertion that guilt, remorse, and shame had scathed and left their trace on his face. On the other hand, the recognition of his guilt, remorse, and shame opens the poem up to empathy. It appears that these feelings have been long-standing because they, quote, had scathed and left their trace. In this way, Harper highlights one of the defining features of addiction, which is the continued use despite harms. In this case, the father seems incapable of avoiding alcohol, even though it's caused significant shame and guilt. Similarly, his callous heart draws attention to the stressors that would lead to such a callous, and that alcohol is probably been used as a coping mechanism, even if it has ultimately been counterproductive. The most powerful source of empathy comes from his son. Even in his terminal suffering, he breaks into a smile upon seeing his father and requests to be held and kissed. Having just seen the father staggering around, clearly intoxicated, the child's smile challenges us to think about how he looks in the eyes of the child. And this is particularly important in light of Harper's Christianity, where Jesus, time and time again, elevated the perspective of children. Some thoughts on emotion. Now, this may be a bit of a stretch, but there is evidence that the father's inability to adequately express his emotion has been a driving factor for his alcohol use disorder. The metaphor of his callous heart is an imaginative version of the hardened heart, which represents repressed emotions. The brilliance of Harper's metaphor is that calluses form initially to protect the skin from stressors, 
But without other treatments for these stressors, the calluses can go on to cause more problems than good, such as pain, difficulty walking, and increased risk for ulcers and infections. Applied to the father, it challenges us to see what would be the reasons in the first place that alcohol could be beneficial. Additionally, when the child's smile reaches the father's heart, quote, its sealed fountain stirred. The second metaphor continues the image of stagnant emotions that have been allowed to fester until they are released by the smile in the burning tears like rain. Finally, we see the guilt, remorse, and shame had scathed his faith. Had scathed is an interesting verb choice. As mentioned before, the past perfect tense, had, speaks to the chronicity of these emotions. And scathed says that these long-standing emotions have harmed him, which is really quite surprising, because normally guilt and certainly remorse would be transformative rather than damaging. There is no explicit explanation of why these emotions had scathed rather than reformed. However, the location within the stanza where his heart finally opens suggests that it has been the inability to express these feelings which has led to this problem. Supporting this, the stanza ends by noting that these emotions, unlike tears, have left their trace. They have not been released and instead have caused disfigurement. According to this reason, Harper offers a generous wisdom of the psychology behind alcohol use disorder. This episode is brought to you by Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, CBT or Talk Therapy. It's not your grandparents' Freudian couch. You don't have to dig up buried dirt, and it really works. With the number needed to treat in the single digits, you know that if this were a pill, it wouldn't be as hard of a pill to swallow as it is now. So don't be scared to talk it out. Therapists don't bite, and they don't bark either. Go get yourself some CBT. Some thoughts on turning. The turn, or volta, is an important poetic device where the poet creates a shift in the theme or emotion of the poem. This is particularly emphasized in sonnets, where the volta typically appears in either line 8 or 12. The turn in this poem is the child's smile of recognition. Before this, we see the father in the throes of alcohol intoxication, and the setting goes from the haunts of vice to where the child is dying in a dark and gloomy chamber on a coarse and wretched pallet. The turn after the smile is quite dramatic, particularly with light and dark imagery. In the very next line, the smile, quote, lit up the glazing eye, and this creates a metaphoric turning on of the lights from the dark and gloomy chamber, as well as the cognitive clearing of the father's alcohol-induced vague and unmeaning stare and dim eye. Continuing this shift in imagery, we hear about the beckoning of bright angels, and even when the child dies, his golden curls are like sunbeams. 
Moreover, the smile changes the father. His callous heart turns into a throbbing heart, and sealed fountains finally stir with tears. And the lyricism of this turn highlights the question of whether or not the father will be able to turn his life around. And the poem leaves the reader with significant uncertainty about the father's fate. On the one hand, he's finally been able to express his emotions, so perhaps he will be able to keep the sealed fountains of his heart opened. He also promises his son that he will see him in heaven, implying he will change his conduct. However, the next line is his pleading ceased. And these two clauses are connected with a semicolon which suggests an even greater unity and, and therefore that the promise is actually a plea and that he's not fully in control of his promise or his alcohol use. Finally, the concluding simile of the setting sun leaves the father in a figurative night. So the question we're left with is, will his son's death be the impetus for change or will it only further so the guilt, remorse, and shame that have driven him to drink in the first place? Despite the glorification in films and, quote, the college experience, excessive alcohol use is a significant social burden. The lifetime prevalence in the U.S. is as high as 30%, and it leads to about 6% of deaths worldwide. Fortunately, there are many effective treatments Uh, particularly naltrexone. And for every $4 spent on treatment, uh, we save $7 in criminal justice expenses. Unfortunately, fewer than 1 in 10 people will receive these therapies. So we have the tools to turn the morbidity and mortality of alcohol use around. What else do we need? The Drunkard's Child by Francis Ellen Watkins Harper He stood beside his dying child with a dim and bloodshot eye. They'd won him from the haunts of vice to see his firstborn die. He came with a slow and staggering tread, a vague, unmeaning stare, and reeling, clasped the clammy hand so deathly pale and fair. In a dark and gloomy chamber, life ebbing fast away, on a coarse and wretched pallet, the dying sufferer lay. A smile of recognition lit up the glazing eye. I'm very glad, it seemed to say, you've come to see me die. That smile reached to his callous heart, its sealed fountain stirred, He tried to speak, but on his lips faltered and died each word. And burning tears like rain poured down his bloated face, where guilt, remorse, and shame had scathed and left their trace. My father, said the dying child, his voice was faint and low. Oh, clasp me closely to your heart and kiss me ere I go. Bright angels beckoned me away to the holy city fair. Oh, tell me, Father, ere I go, 
Say, will you meet me there? He clasped him to his throbbing heart. I will, I will, he said. His pleading ceased. The father held his firstborn and his dead. The marble brow with golden curls lay lifeless on his breast, like sunbeams on the distant clouds which line the gorgeous west. The Drunkard's Child by Francis Ellen Watkins Harper was published in 1855 and is now part of public domain. You can find show notes for this episode at anauscultation.wordpress.com and you can send comments, suggestions, and questions to the Twitter handle at anauscultation or to the email anauscultation at gmail.com. Auscultation is produced and recorded on the ancestral home of the Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho peoples. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, follow, or share to help others find out about us too. Until next month, be kind and live the questions. <laughs>